We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oh, look at this. This is a good one. Some suggest that Parker's powers include the male spider's ability to hypnotize females. Stop. Come on. <laughs> yes, my spider lord. <laughs> Can we just, like, stay up here all day? It is so crazy down there. That's right, folks. Spider-Man is, in fact, Peter Parker. Listen, I did not kill Mysterio. The drones did. The drones that are yours. Does any part of you feel relieved about all this? What do you mean? Now that everybody knows, you don't really have to hide or lie to people. For the record, I never wanted to lie to you. But how do you tell someone that you're Spider-Man? Now everybody knows. But this isn't about me. This is hurting a lot of people. I've just been thinking about how to fix all of this. So, Peter, to what do I owe the pleasure? I'm sorry to bother you, sir. Please, we saved half the universe together. I think we're beyond you calling me, sir. Okay, Steven. That feels weird, but I'll allow it. When Mysterio revealed my identity, my entire life got screwed up. I was wondering if maybe you could make it so that he never did. Strange. Don't cast that spell. It's too dangerous. Fine. I won't. The entire world is about to forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Wait, everyone? Can't some people still know? That's not how the spell works. So MJ's gonna forget about everything we've ever been through? Stop tampering with the spell. Oh my god, Ned, he's my best friend. Oh, my Aunt May should really stop talk. talking. <laughs> what just happened? We tampered with the stability of space time. Multiverse is a concept about which we know frighteningly little. The problem is you trying to live two different lives. The longer you do it, the more dangerous it becomes. Be careful what you wish for, Parker. Hello, Peter. For this bonus episode of Final Review, a highly 
highly anticipated bonus episode. The third film in the John Watts, Tom Holland, Spider-Man saga. The 11th film as covered this week in Final Review in the Spider-Man cinematic universe. And the 27th overall film in the Marvel cinematic universe, Spider-Man No Way Home. As just mentioned, it is directed by John Watts. It is starring Tom Holland, Zendaya, Jacob Batalon, Benedict Cumberbatch, Marissa Tomei, John Favreau. And that's all we will say for now. The summary, according to Letterboxd. Peter Parker is unmasked and no longer able to separate his normal life from the high stakes life of being a superhero. When he asks for help from Doctor Strange, the stakes become even more dangerous, forcing him to discover what it truly means to be Spider-Man. So bit of a itinerary for today. We're going to do 10, 15 minutes on nothing. Spoiler. We're going to just general overall thoughts, some reactions more than anything else. I've seen it twice. Oz has seen it once. Um, we want to get some general thoughts. I Go see the movie. Be safe, obviously. We understand what's going on specifically in New York City. But see it first because you might think that anything is a spoiler and then come back and listen to the entire pod after you've seen the movie. Um, Oz, I also I have a question for you that I want to ask at the very end of the pod. So remind me in case I forget. Okay, okay. I will do that. All right. So with all of that being said, the non-spoiler section starts now and then we'll dive into spoilers in just a little bit. Oz, your thoughts, your overall thoughts on Spider-Man No Way Home. This movie made me feel like an optimistic, joyous, small child again. And for that, I am, I am incredibly grateful. I will say I, I preferred the second half of the movie to the first half. And I, I spent basically the entire second half of the movie with a dumb, stupid smile on my face <laughs> because I, I was absolutely delighted. I, I, I certainly have some quibbles here more than other great blockbusters and superhero movies and, and things of that nature. But this movie is really, really, really fun. And for that, I am incredibly grateful. So it's funny you mentioned the second half of this movie that you like more than the first, because I'd be be curious to find out in the spoiler section if it's the same point for both of us where it clicked. The first 20 to 25 minutes for me, there is a plot point, plot detail that was worrying me that this would become an overarching thing. And then a, a set piece on a bridge is what I'll say happens. And from then on, sheer euphoria for the rest of the movie. So I'll even say the second and third act of this movie is how far that euphoria spans. And look, this movie works as an extension of the MCU. This movie works as the three movie arc for what Tom Holland's Peter Parker was going through. And I'll, I'll go even further. And this is after two rewatches in a span of 24 hours that I'm not even sure what day it is at this point, but Endgame is an accomplishment of epic proportions because of the planning and the seeds that were planted in 2008 from Feige and Marvel. And the culmination of all of that is part of why Endgame is held in such high regard for so many people and so many fans of this universe. And Spider-Man No Way Home, almost just as ambitious, in a different way, 
just as impactful and accomplishes just as much to where I appreciate and almost agree with anybody that says this is on the same level. I, I'm I'm so impressed by how well they nailed it, Oz. This could have gone so wrong and so cornily done, and they nailed it. And that's the most impressive part about it. I expected to be rolling rolling my eyes so much more than I ever did in this movie. There's one or two moments where I did, and they're probably not even that big of eye roll moments. This is one of my favorite movie experiences, movie going experiences. And it works again on a second time. Like I, the rewatch, I was expecting for those emotional punches to dissipate, and it doesn't at all. Um, look, the term fan service has been used a lot in Criterion World and a lot of the reviews that I've been reading. And I got to say, I don't care. If I'm a fan, I felt serviced. And I think thematically, all of those potential moments that could be fan service work so well. And I'm, I, I'm to an extent speechless, which is terrible podcasting, but in the end, I just, I cannot believe how well they nailed this us. You know, it's, it's funny you use the term fan service and I think it's often used as a, as a dirty word. And I think there are certainly many, many examples of fan service that is a dirty word. In fact, I wrote about this movie as if it's fan service or not at the invention of dreams.com this week. But, um, I don't really think it's fan service because I think fan service deservedly has a pejorative meaning. And I think something like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in Ghostbusters Afterlife, which makes absolutely no sense because the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was Ray Stance's like warm, fuzzy childhood thing that came to mind when they had to pick the the shape of their destroyer. There's no reason that little Stay Puffs should be appearing in, in Walmart you know, however many years later to attack Paul Rudd. Here, there are thematic payoff reasons that I think justify all of the stuff that happens in the second act. You 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 talk about it as the sort of completion of at least one phase of Tom Holland's arc as Spider-Man. I, I think that what we're realizing now, and, and they've done a good job of kind of concealing, is this was actually just an eight-hour origin movie or an eight-hour an eight origin story told over three movies. And it he, he hasn't been... Spider-Man, at least the Spider-Man as we know him, until the end of this movie, because there are certain sad things that happen in this movie that that force him to become the Spider-Man of uh, past stories um, and really of the comic book proper. The, the the Peter Parker we all know and love didn't have Uncle Tony Stark giving him billions and billions of dollars of technology and a magical spider suit and all this other all this other bullshit. Uh, the the Peter Parker we know and love is is Tobey Maguire as a pizza boy losing his job because he and, and unable to pay his rent. And I, I think there's a, an important reset element to to the character that happens between the the death of Stark, everything that happens in Far From Home through this movie that that sets it up that the real Spider-Man is now part of the MCU going forward. Well, to be clear, I'm not saying when I, I mentioned the completion of the Tom Holland Arc. I'm not saying that there's not going to be another movie with Tom Holland as Peter Parker in the MCU, for that matter. Amy Pascal and Kevin Feige have made that very clear that they're on board if he's on board. But what I mean is that, like I had mentioned this during the Spider-Man final review, what I've enjoyed about the Holland version of this character is his immaturity. He is the kid in the room with all these adult Avengers and... Where he ends this movie compared to the first time we see him in Civil War, the maturation process feels like it's really taking a step forward. And I agree about 
the fact that his origin might be officially complete in the MCU and this Peter Parker can now take some adult steps forward. So I I overall agree. I also, full disclosure, as far as your fan service point, I have not read Oz's review yet. I like to keep it fresh so I don't know how he feels about a movie before we record. It is bookmarked for me. I'm going to read it after. I blindly recommend it. We'll put it in the description of this episode. Please check it out. But if it's if it is fan service, I don't care. I agree with your overall point. I'm just saying to those reviews that I've read that have called it fan service, I don't care. I I saw this movie with a bunch of Spider-Man fans, with a bunch of Marvel fans. I didn't mind if we all were being fed things that were going to make us jump for joy. Like that's what I wanted to go to the movies for. And look, being as responsible as possible. I understand there's a variant going through New York City and kind of working its way through these bigger cities and populations. Be as safe as you can. I I wore a mask through both of my viewings. Like, uh, be as responsible as you can in going to see this movie. But I'll just say, my experience was enhanced by the fact that my crowd knew what to do for all of the right moments and the communal aspect of all of us enjoying this movie together made it so much more for me. How about you? How Did your crowd understand the assignment and re- react appropriately at the right moments? My crowd was awesome. I, I went to a three o'clock Thursday showing. So the very the very first ones that you, you could go to, uh, I brought my kid and my wife. Um, sorry, Astra, you didn't get to go to this one because you're <laughs> one. But uh, she's going to remember that. She's going to listen to this one day and remember that. <laughs> my, my crowd was hype and it started... They, surprisingly, this is the first one of these in a while I've seen that didn't get a round of applause for like the Marvel title card at the beginning, which has been usual. And I was like, oh no, my crowd is dead. That sucks. Even the even the two crazy people dressed as like different versions of Spider-Man in the back of the theater didn't react. Uh, and then something happens about 15 minutes into the movie and my crowd lost its mind. And uh, I was like, oh yay, my people are here. Because uh, the thing that happens 15 minutes into the movie is, is perhaps the one that that pulled at my heartstrings the the most, or got the most visceral reaction from me. But um, yeah, it was a it was a good crowd, and they they were fairly nuts by the end of the movie. Yeah, same. Um, I went to my my old favorite theater. So I, I currently live in Queens. I moved out here in July. Spidey's a whole hometown, and I actually appreciated the different landmarks in Queens that I recognized because I live here now. Uh, but I took my girlfriend and her sister and her sister's friend to my place, my my favorite theater that I go to for the bigger events back in Long Island by my parents' house. And we saw it Friday at close to 11. Crowd knew exactly what to do at all the appropriate moments. Um, then the next night, or I guess this technically yesterday, it's been a wild past 24 hours that's included a lot of spider-man <laughs> oz i took the train back out there after we had gone all the way back out to queens spent saturday together and then i took the train out to see it with my brother who was working friday so he couldn't see it um and i got to experience it again exact same theater exact same seats through his eyes and i was the nerd that knowing we had a podcast to do, had a little mini notepad that I was writing a few things on just to see if I could pick up on things that would bring the experience down a bit. And it just 
just didn't change at all. I am I'm curious how this will age at home when I'm not in a crowd, but that's not something I even care about right now. It it was effective both times seeing this in the environment that I did. Can I talk about spoilers now? Because I you guys so ready? Many- okay, so we're gonna take a break and we're gonna head to spoilers. You're gonna hear the elevator music on the other side of the break. So when we get back, you've been warned. Spoiler alert for Spider Man No Way Home. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little... Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We are back here to talk spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home. You've been warned. Um, the biggest spoiler is Charlie Cox. <laughs> Charlie Cox is back. Daredevil, baby. Yeah. Yeah. You're the one person that walked away with that being the biggest spoiler. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I still haven't finished Daredevil season two. Now, here's the funny part. I have seven spoiler-filled discussion topics to talk about right now. 
And this was that was obviously toward the top. I had no idea that reaction was coming before the obvious bigger spoiler that most people will be talking about from this movie. Uh, but let's start somewhat chronological. The first big one for me is that J. Jonah Jameson is featured a lot throughout this movie. J.K. Simmons is back as J. Jonah Jameson in an updated version of the character that's not writing for a paper, but podcasting in a clear shot. I noticed what you did there. Marvel, Kevin Feige, John Watts with how he starts off in like his own apartment broadcasting and ends up with his own <laughs> studio as his conspiracy bullshit gets more popular. I saw what you did there with one of the worst mics I've ever seen as somebody that does this for a living. The part where he shills like a virility pill at the end of his at the end of his episode. Yeah. Just just gave me immense joy. Just just troll away at the Joe Rogans of the world. It was great. Yes, as somebody who's never done similar shilling for a product or potential podcast partner. Shout out prize picks. Anyway, um, Peter Parker is now public enemy number one. His identity revealed for all of New York to see. Uh, he and his mom and MJ and uh, uh, Ned are brought up on charges of vigilanteism. And as a result, he needs a lawyer friend. And as Oz just mentioned, Charlie Cox playing Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil from the TV show on Netflix, Daredevil, uh, from that series, which now you understand why the report this week that Daredevil will not be recast was mentioned before Spider-Man No Way Home came out, uh, which also coincides with the Disney Plus show Hawkeye, and spoiler alert if you're not caught up on Hawkeye, just fast forward 30 seconds. Uh, Kingpin, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, was also confirmed this week in the most recent episode of Hawkeye, episode five. Um, so with that being said, Matthew Murdock shows up on screen. I picked up on it right away and had no idea it was coming, but as somebody that just reacted the way you did on the pod, did your crowd react the same way, Oz? As soon as the cane hits the ground, my theater erupted. I am not a cheer during the movies person. You all be shocked to, to learn. And I couldn't help myself but to let loose an unmanly squeal of glee because I love Daredevil. Daredevil's probably my favorite superhero bullshit character. And I love Charlie Cox in that part. Even though season two of that show is quite bad, I still love the show overall. I am so, so, so overjoyed. And I've known about it for years. Like this is not a thing that was that was new news to me. It's still it's 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 stroked some like primal thing inside me to see Charlie Cox back as Matt Murdock. Well, that's the thing. And I'll again applaud myself for avoiding as much as possible and detaching from any news or leaks that could have ruined that moment. Because I even waited until in between Spider-Man viewings to watch this week's Hawkeye. I had no idea that Matt Murdock could show up or that was even in play. So when he showed up, it added to my shock and I just overall glee that, okay, we might get a character I also enjoyed back into this universe. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the pod a 20 to 25 minute stretch where it wasn't clicking for me. And it centers around this specific villainizing of Spidey. So I caught a clear Alex Jones bit that J.K. Simmons was doing. And I get that J. Jonah Jameson really drives the narrative in the comics and the first Spidey movie where they turn people on Spider-Man, which is why in a vacuum, I get it that 
everybody is listening for some reason he's on the billboard J- jumbotron in times square and like he has a platform i guess what my issue is and this is where i need to help you talk maybe you could help me talk me through this like did endgame and infinity war not happen like if he's part of the group of people that helped bring half the population back no podcaster is able to flip me on his reputation after that. Am I overthinking it too much? I don't think you're overthinking it because I think what actually Hawkeye is kind of making clear and to a lesser extent Falcon and Winter Soldier is that the ones who who get credit are the ones who were not snapped and the snapped ones are just sort of along for the ride as folks who were who were brought back by the real heroes which are the you know the the core six Avengers plus Rocket and uh, what's her face, Karen Gillan, Nebula. Um, that the core, the the core folks are not are are getting all the credit as opposed to the snap victims. That's fair. I so Peter not being part of the six that get the monument in Hawkeye. Fine. I I, I guess what's just the the very dead on. Alex Jones impersonation and how not seriously I take him and how like he doesn't drive content. At least I don't feel in my world that he drives the narrative as much as this movie gives that type of character credit for is what's what's blocking me or, or giving me pause. Here, here's the thing. The, the Joe Rogan experience is the number one podcast oh. in the world. I, a, a lot of people, not even a lot of people get their news from listening to fucking interviews on the Joe Rogan experience. You know what? If you're going to give me Rogan, then that works better. I I still don't buy the MIT aspect of it, but like the guy had Bernie Sanders on his pod and like legitimate presidential candidates on his pod throughout the election. So that's a better comp. Again, the MIT of it all. And again, in, in a admitted overthinking, but it's what was giving me pause for the beginning part of this movie. I, I hear you. I think it's dumber that um, four kids from the same high school, even if this is some like magical version of Stuyvesant or something, uh, if four kids from the same high school are all getting into MIT or can credibly get into MIT is kind of dumb. But leaving, I guess, leaving, leaving that aside, I think that the ones brought back are perhaps getting a little bit of short shrift for their contributions at the upstate New York battle at the end of Endgame. But um, yeah, I think that that folks are are less aware of what they did than of what the the time heist people did. And I think there's a, a narrative that's being sold in the MCU across the various Disney Plus shows that a lot of these folks are grappling with the difficulty of, you know, o- only partial celebration and and acceptance of what happened. I, I, I look, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is, is very bad. It's pro- it's it's may- maybe one of the worst MCU things ever. But even that get gets into this um in a sort of roundabout way, the, the both Bucky and, and Falcon are far less recognizable or celebrated than we see just in Hawkeye, where Hawkeye is far more appreciated. Wanda, not particularly appreciated in WandaVision. And I don't want to deep dive the MCU shows in case folks aren't caught up. <laughs> but I, I think there's, look, is it an unsatisfying canonical justification? Sure, I, I get that. But I think they're, they're at least trying to justify how Spider-Man and Bucky occupy a different headspace for people than, than Cap and Natasha. So the next reveal... After Peter has seen all the collateral damage caused by everybody finding out he is Spider-Man, he seeks the help of his friend 
Doctor Strange who can cook up a forgetting spell that will cause everybody to forget that this ever happened and that he is Spider-Man. And he tinkers with it as it's being cast. And he tinkers with it so much that the spell goes nuts and almost opens up the multiverse until Doctor Strange closes it. Peter then is given the advice to just go talk to the advisor at MIT and get her to change her mind. And we get to the bridge sequence that I was talking about earlier in which while Peter just walking into traffic, bumper to bumper traffic, because this is the George Washington bridge, um, he finds the advisor and all of a sudden a shake is felt and cars start going everywhere. And Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus shows up from Spider-Man 2 and my crowd reacted appropriately, even though we knew it was coming because we saw it in the trailer. What did you think of the moment when Doc Ock showed up? The, my my crowd absolutely popped. And I, I have to say, I thought it looked kind of squidgy in the, he looked kind of weird and squidgy in the trailer and it looked way better in the movie. It's clear that they were working on this thing up until the minute it needed to be locked. Uh, the de-aging tech, which I guess is kind of like makeup. Makeup works well on some people and poorly on others. The de-aging tech works well on some people and poorly on others. It worked for me on Molina and on a certain someone else who we'll talk about momentarily uh it's it's come a long way and i i found it pretty pretty damn effective to bring back the the doc ock of 17 years ago well speaking of characters that are back from 17 years ago the entirety of this reveal and i, I say reveal even though a lot of people knew it from the trailers is that not one not two not three not four but Five previous Spider-Man villains are in this movie from the previous Spider-Man franchises. Uh, I mentioned Doc Ock. You get the lizard from the Amazing Spider-Man 1. You get um, the Sandman from Spider-Man 3. And then Jamie Foxx as Electro is in this. And those are the only four I'll mention for now. Um, Jamie Foxx in particular, what did you think of him in this and specifically this version of him in this movie? I mean, it doesn't really make any sense that the weird introvert nerd character of Amazing Spider-Man 2 has just disappeared here, but I don't care because yeah. Jamie Foxx playing Jamie Foxx as a bad guy is far more interesting than Jamie Foxx playing whatever the fuck he was doing in Amazing Spider-Man 2. So that's fine. Just just give me give me Electro Max Dillon and, and you you sort of need the Jamie Foxx-ified version of this character to be able to stand on his own and banter with the Defoe's and Molina's of the world. I don't I don't think the uh, original version would would have the swagger to do that. So I think it's a it's a smart tweak to the character even if it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I also don't care if it doesn't make sense that he's this version is in it. This is the version of Jamie Foxx that I prefer as opposed to anything that we got in the Amazing Spider-Man 2. I also like that you can see him, which ironically is what that character wanted is that you can see him. Um but I'm just this is the version of Jamie Foxx I prefer, which I like. Um what about Thomas Hayden Church as a Sandman? He's barely in it as far as the actor is concerned. He's really under a lot of CGI in this movie. Well, I, I don't I, I assume he did mocap, but I don't know. But considering the budgets of these things, I assume both he and Rissifons did their did their mocap work here. But those those CGI things were were quite bad. Like his sand form was was quite terrible and the mm. lizard looked quite terrible. Um I I will say that the Thomas Hayden Church character makes the least sense out of any of them because he leaves look spider-man 3 fucking sucks but he leaves spider-man 3 as a as a quasi good guy like peter parker lets him go he like 
sands off into the sunset to go try to find like a legitimate way to pay for his daughter's you know scary horrible illness and in this one he's just like ah eh, fuck it i guess i'm i guess i'm a bad guy again and it does it doesn't it didn't really work for me i don't i don't think it matters because look it's clear that that lizard and sandman are here to be kind of foot soldiers for the bigger uh octavius goblin tier of villains and it works especially in the climax but yeah i i found that that character's arc to be the least well thought out of all of them but whatever well couldn't you justify it by the fact that he isn't a villain when he first meets spider-man he tries to help him capture electro and then he gets like put with the rest of the villains at least that's how i justified it other than the fact that they just needed a villain from spider-man 3 and then he's like oh hey here's my heel turn again for no particular reason especially when spidey's not even trying to magic zappy box him so i i don't know so i'm gonna propose something to you that if you're down i'm down we just don't have to mention sandman or lizard for the rest of this bot i didn't have much on uh, yeah, them anyway I'm, I'm tapped out on both of them i got i got nothing on else on sandman or lizard yeah but to finish off this reveal the final villain that is introduced to us in this movie we mentioned it in our Spider-Man final review. We did an entire top five for this guy. Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin is also in this movie. And when he he shows up as Goblin, we get to have the moment again of him doing the whole Gollum thing where he is, is dressed as a hobo and is trying to hide the glider and the mask is talking to him as the Goblin. And Osborn gets to be in this movie and goes to meet up with Aunt May at her, what, canned food drive, Oz? So there's a thing in the comics called Feast. It's an acronym okay. that stands for something. But Aunt May is the, is the head of Feast in the comics, which is a, you know, food bank charity thing. Okay. So there's, there's, I don't think it's, oh, you know, actually in, in the beginning of Far From Home, she's accepting a check for Feast. That's what Spider-Man shows that up at when he finds that out is, that. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's her charity. Gotcha. That makes sense thematically with what happens with that character later on in the movie. More on that in just a second. Uh, so Norman Osborn stumbles into Feast and, uh, enlist the help of Aunt May and Peter Parker because he would like to get cured in this universe. A very empathetic version of this character that I just was not expecting. Some really good uh, acting as well from Willem Dafoe in that you actually see Norman as a prisoner, which I don't think you get a lot of in the first Spider-Man. I was, it was really good and an interesting turn on this character. Do you think it's real? Um, for part, for most of it, oh, I, I see where you're going I think with it's the question. Yeah. yeah. So you think that the entire time Goblin is using Norman to yes. get sympathy from Peter and May so that way he can use them to, to trick them. So the last we know of that character, the last thing he does is pretend to be normal Norman Osborn so that he can lure Peter in so that he could try to spear him with the Goblin glider and then accidentally spears himself and my my thought is that that's the version of the character we're getting so he's capable of turning on a fake version of the the norman osborne side of it and that it's all a work but i've only seen it once and you've seen it more than i have so there you know i i don't know if that if that's going to check out over the course of multiple viewings well the pushback i'll give on that is if it's goblin the entire time why does he allow osborne to help peter fix the chip in the back of octavius's neck so I don't know. That doesn't. I think that's what I picked up on it the second time, as you were saying. In fact, there's a 
moment when Octavius is elevated to the top of the stairs so Peter can put the new chip there where he says something and Defoe's face changes. I'm forgetting the line, but it looked as if that's the trigger for Goblin to reappear, Um, which leads to the next big reveal in the spoiler section. Um, Look, because of Aunt May, Peter now has a heart for these five villains that have showed up in the universe. Strange has concealed the curse that brought them all here inside a Zack Snyder mother box. And don't, don't, don't put that evil on this movie. I like <laughs> fine. We'll call it not the mother box. Um, it has a button that if you push it, it sends everybody back. He's about to push it. Uh, Peter takes it and wants them, wants to give them a second chance. A fight sequence breaks out that takes them inside of Dr. One of Dr. Strange's mirror realms. Peter wins the fight and is able to conceal Strange inside the realm so he could try to fix at least Octavius first. Um, Goblin reappears. A fight sequence breaks out. Aunt May thinks that she has stabbed Goblin with one of the serums that will reverse the Green Goblin effect. It doesn't work. Goblin's glider collides with Aunt May. Uh, One of his bombs then goes off around Aunt May. And it all leads to Aunt May, not Uncle Ben, dying in this movie. Um, how hard? First of all, did you know that this was going to happen? And how hard did this hit you? I, I didn't. I didn't know. I, I didn't quite. I, I, you know, once you got hit with the glider, I was like, rut row. Pretty yeah. clear to me where this is going. Um, and then when she does the, I, I thought the inversion of her doing the the great power, great responsibility is quite good and quite smart and makes sense to this version of the character and really goes back to my sort of overall thematic point that this is the third movie that's actually the origin of this Peter Parker as Spider-Man. We've just skipped over the spider bite this time. And I, I think it's it's some of her strongest work in it. I think it's actually it's actually pretty emotional and pretty well earned for a character that's probably had like 14 minutes of screen time in the prior two movies. Well, so it's also the line that she says, which apparently I read this morning, it's been misquoted in the original Maguire trilogy and then in the two Garfields that Uncle Ben doesn't say with great power comes great responsibility in the comics. It's what Aunt May says word for word and with great power, there must also come great responsibility that there is a choice to acknowledge the responsibility and the sacrifice that Peter when I really look back throughout the entire time in the MCU of him being Spider-Man, he's wrestling with whether to acknowledge or sacrifice that there is a responsibility that comes with being Spider-Man. And this moment for him is now going to mean something like as far as this moment also coming right before Aunt May's death just made the moment that much more impactful and devastating. I was, I was not expecting an Aunt May death coming into this movie. I probably should have when I really think about it. And that moment hit me like a ton of bricks. I was, I was not prepared for this at all. Oz. My, my theater went a little, a little sniffly. A little sniffly. Dust yeah. In the air. Yep. Um, yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was impactful and I will say I, Holland is quite good in this scene when he's trying to, I, I don't know, resuscitate her basically, or like begging for help. I, he, he's very good at these um, rather extreme emotional beats. I, I think he he makes them credible and human in a way that's quite effective. Like I, like Tobey Maguire could not have done 
what he does here. And I really think it, it, it's one of the things that most humanizes his take on the character. Yeah. So the next very minor reveal before we get to some very big ones. Um, the Not the mother box is with Ned and with MJ for safekeeping. They find out about what happened at Happy's place. And I guess they also find out that Aunt May has died and they want to hear from Peter. And Ned says, I wish we could hear from him. And sparks fly like a portal is about to be open. And you then find out Ned has magic powers, which is that is that accurate to the comic? Oz, where did that come from? No, though I will say that the Ned Leeds character in the comics is very different. And this character is actually a version of, of Genki, who's Miles Morales's best friend. They've just renamed it using the using the, the Peter Parker universe character names as opposed to the Miles Morales one. And he's in he's his roommate in Spider-Verse. Miles' roommate in Spider-Verse is basically the same character. I have no idea, I'll be honest, if there's a magical origin story for... Uh, I don't think there is one for Ned Leeds, and I assume there isn't one for the Genki character, but uh, whatever. I don't care. It looks like it's going to give us some sort of Disney Plus show with him learning to be a wizard, and I'm all fucking in on that. So, yeah, my... Don't I don't I don't care if there's no basis for this. Yeah, I didn't care either. I just I guess I wonder if this further teases the kid Avengers that they've been referencing lately. Yeah, totally possible. We're gonna we're definitely getting young Avengers and they need a young Doctor Strange, so we may as well use him. There I'm worried go. it has the Arrowverse problem now, where every single character in these movies needs to have some sort of superpower, which gets a little tiring and and is leads to a total lack of dramatic inertia. But uh whatever for now, it's fine. Let's let's keep the faith because pretty much everything they make is awesome. Well, speaking of things that are awesome, or in this case, amazing, um, Ned opens a portal. They see Spider-Man. They call out to him to jump through the portal. He does. Ned's grandma freaks out and he tries to get grandma to calm down. And look, it's the worst kept secret of all time, I think. And I, I obviously didn't believe anything Andrew Garfield said. Although I, I think because I was so hit by the Aunt May death, I had forgot that this was also why we came to watch this movie because this was rumored to be what was going to happen in the movie. Um, Spider-Man takes his mask off and it's Andrew Garfield from the amazing Spider-Man. And look, guys, they've been, if I can, I apologize to all the film fans that, don't follow sports that I forget about on this pod, but they've been drawing up this play for a while now, and you finally got to see it executed. And whether you want to say it's baseball where a guy finally lined up a, a swing and you got to see the home run ball slowly land over the fence, whether it's basketball and the ball worked its way around the perimeter and then the wide open shot was there and you finally got to see it go through the net or football where they worked up the correct play and had a guy wide open and you were just waiting for the ball to land in the receiver's hands in the end zone. Any analogy you want to bring up, my reaction to it was that they scored. And the fact that I knew it was coming and it lived up to every possible hype moment that it could have is a testament to how right they get these things, Oz. It it was better than I ever could have imagined seeing Garfield show up on screen. 
I think I liked it so much more that it's done this way. I, I was worried that it was going to be, oh, hey, the two Spider-Men, other Spider-Men show up at the big battle at the end. And it's basically, you know, on your left again. And I was, uh, so, okay. I was so happy that it was undercut. Because look, what they do with the Garfield character here, it's, it's actually my favorite thing about the movie is how they not just introduce and reacclimate him, but the way they kind of piss on the character a little bit and acknowledge the sort of meta element of no one liking except me, I guess those movies. Um, you and Macri, you and Macri, <laughs> quite literally. You like the first one, you like the second one. Yeah, me and Macri, we're, we're, we're here alone on Andrew Garfield Island, but uh, I like how they kind of piss on it a little bit. I like how they question when he's hanging on the ceiling. I, I, I think it's delightful that um, Ned's grandma or whatever she is makes him uh take like a spider web off the corner of the wall i just think it's i think it's all so funny i I even like how andrew garfield looks like he walked off the set of tick tick boom onto this it just looks a little a little haggard a little shitty a little worn down i i I think it's i think it's great i i love him i think he's perfect here i think the comedic beats that we're gonna we'll get to in a minute uh that he's core to are, are incredibly effective i i i just felt like warm fuzzies in my heart to to see him back in the spider suit well this is only part one of the reveal because after garfield has entered the chat um ned decides i want my peter parker in as well so he opens up another portal just looking for peter parker and another one opens and toby mcguire dressed as a cool youth pastor walks <laughs> through and as as we mentioned on the final review our og Toby Maguire, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, the appreciation that a lot of us have, the attachment that a lot of us have to this character, I think led to an even louder crowd pop as far as my two experiences were concerned. What was your initial thought when Toby walked through the portal and showed up on screen? My brain processing that I I don't think I've seen Toby Maguire in a movie in like a decade and that it's just kind of weird to have him back uh just it, overall and then i was like oh fuck it this is great warm warm fuzzies like high school age me sneaking out to go see the midnight spider-man releases hell yeah i'm i'm in welcome welcome back toby this is this is wonderful we'll ignore all of the gossip about your personal life because i'm just so delighted to <laughs> i'm just so delighted to see you again on my screen as this character so you're saying there were no card games between the three Peters on no. set. Gotcha. Um, so I want to stick here for a little bit because the last reveal is the very ending of the movie. Um, you said that you liked how this was done and how how we see the two Peters, the Garfield and the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man show up in this movie. Um, there's two things that I really, really love and they're probably the two things I love most about this movie. The first one, and I mentioned this during our final review, that like the biggest issue I have with the Garfield and I guess now the Toby versions is that the youth aspect of Peter Parker was just missing from the first two. More so the first time I saw Garfield all the way through. Like the guy had just invented Facebook and now he's 17 and it just it's completely missing from his character. It's no fault to him. I think he's the best actor of the three, but that is not necessary for this version. For what he does in this, he actually looks like Tom Holland's big brother, which works so much more in this version. And then you get Toby, who's this like 40-year-old settled-down Spider-Man that I appreciated the extending of the timeline. Because look... The biggest accomplishment of this movie and how they pulled this off is that 
Spider-Man 3 is no longer the conclusion to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. It's this. Amazing Spider-Man 2 is no longer the conclusion to the Amazing Spider-Man saga. It's this. And Marvel's ability to pull that off seamlessly on an emotional level is probably the best thing I could say about this movie. And the fact that like I'm not misrepresenting anything, I feel like they really pulled it off, is my biggest takeaway. And look... The other thing I love about this is just the fact that Spider-Man is a really lonely character when you think about it. Like, loses Aunt Ben, can't be with MJ, can't be with Gwen Stacy, and the sacrifice that we were just talking about that Aunt May was was implying that needs to exist when you take on the responsibility of being a hero. Tom Holland now has two older mature versions of Spider-Man to turn to that actually know what he's going through, that actually know what that sacrifice looks like. And it's it's why we, we talked about it at the top. The last third of this movie, you're just sitting there with this grin on your face that this is really happening. It doesn't feel forced. And even if this is fan service, it's working on a thematic level. And to me, it's it's the biggest and best accomplishment of this movie, Oz. Uh, that, that's actually what I wrote about, about this movie. I'm going to uh, read I, I it. I'm going to read it. I highly recommend it. I'm going to read it. No, we, we've, hit the, we've hit the same place. I, I think the emotional payoff, and I'm, I'm going to flash forward a, a little bit here because I want to, I think it ties into what I think is, is the movie's most emotionally satisfying moment, is that the... Tobey Maguire Spider-Man doesn't really get a a complete story. They they got really far down the pike, down to casting for a fourth Spider-Man movie, and to find out that everything's gonna everything's gonna be okay, that there he ends up with MJ is it's nice. It's a nice completion of you know the shitty last chapter of that series. I think that Andrew Garfield getting the resolution of saving Zendaya MJ and one of my audience's biggest reactions was actually when they they recreate the Gwen Stacy shot from and it's also the MJ shot from the first Spider-Man when she gets thrown off the bridge by Goblin um, of realizing, oh, shit, here we go again. What's going to happen? And for Garfield to get the save in that moment and essentially like lose his shit in like emotional release at the end of it, I, I thought was incredibly effective. And it does this really interesting thing where it is paying off your engagement. And I know fan service is the bad way to put it. I, I would argue it's much more, you know, rewarding a viewer for paying attention to these characters and making a, a, a concise, effective emotional arc for him to get that that release and satisfaction of having saved the day in exactly the same thing that he fucked up in his own life is is really nice. And Garfield is such a strong actor that he manages to in like 20 minutes of screen time in this movie sell the hell out of that moment. I just I, I completely agree with what you're saying. It really does it really does emotionally reward your caring about 20 years of this of this stuff. And I, I think that's I think it's fantastic. I think it's really it is done so much more elegantly than I ever thought it it could have been. I mean, there's a universe where this comes out just like Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse is great. I, I will get to our Spider-Man list at the end of this, but I, I Spider-Verse is, is amazing. But most of those characters are not real characters. It's not like I sit here and I'm like, well, I have a lot of thoughts about Spider-Man noir. I, I don't. And I, I think it's it's telling that they managed to give these other Spider-Men real, uh, real payoffs to our, our engagement with this series overall. It's just really good stuff. By the way, a quick thing about Andrew Garfield. Um, I don't know if just tick, tick boom is going to completely recalibrate what I thought about the character, 
Another shout out to friend of the pod, John Macri. I did a, a final score episode. The pod I used to host uh, early on in the pandemic when we were looking for content. I did a best actors of the decade pod with him, a top 10. And I Garfield listed ninth because I liked his work. It was all strong, but he didn't have that peak performance yet. And then Tick, Tick, Boom came out. And then rewatching him as Spider-Man this week and then this weekend, I I need to go back and recalibrate how I feel about this actor because you mentioned the Gwen Stacy recreation when he saves the Zendaya MJ and his face, the release, the emotion on his face that he was able to save this MJ in a redemptive arc but also the reminder that he didn't save Gwen in that so while this is redemptive it doesn't fix anything and you get all of that just from a facial reaction it's made me now want to campaign for him not just to be nominated for Tick Tick Boom but a double nomination for him to also be nominated for this and look I know you want me to come to the dark side and hope that he wins over Will Smith Amen. Uh, good luck but Man, what an actor this Andrew Garfield has showed himself to be to me over the last couple of months. Um, the other part that we need to just dive in on a little bit, the comedic beats that are hit of having these three smart asses on screen at the same time, the banter back and forth between the three of them, the discussion of Maguire being able to naturally shoot out webbing between the three of them. That stuff is so good. Andrew Garfield is so funny asking, mm -hmm. asking him about that. And they pay, they pay off so many old things. Like, like Tobey Maguire almost dropped out of those movies because of his back problems. So for them to go back to the ow, my back, my back stuff, uh -huh. it's all... All their banter is so good. Even when uh, I'm sorry, I don't. I'm cutting off a little no, here, but Pete, even go ahead. Even when Ned is like Peter, and then all three of them uh, look up them at him and, and he's like, he's like, shit, Peter uh, Parker, and they're all like, what, what, man? We're all Peter Parker. It's so. It shouldn't work as well as it does, but it really does. It, it's even like Toby is super committed to mm -hmm. the bit. They're all just like in it and having fun, and I, I just, I, oh man, it's so good. Everything about their interactions is amazing. I fought an alien. It was this big uh, black <laughs> yes. alien, black goo. I fought an alien on Earth and in space. Oh, I want to fight an alien. I'm lame. <laughs> you're not lame. You're amazing. Yeah, you're amazing, right? Yeah, they they nailed this. And just one more thing on Andrew Garfield. Again, quickly becoming my favorite actor. The line he says about, and I'm going to botch it, but like I, I always wanted brothers and how just appreciative he is, not just to be like part of this mission, but clearly, as I mentioned earlier, the loneliness of being Spider-Man has hit him the hardest because he like lost Gwen and lost Uncle Ben. And as he mentioned, when he's talking to Peter, the rage that filled him, he stopped pulling his punches. Um, it's made him like appreciative to be part of this universe. And I think the meta commentary of like, there are stands for the original Toby, and obviously people love Tom Holland. The aspect that Andrew Garfield, who really passionately loved being Spider-Man, and those movies outside of you and John are not that well received. And what he does here almost, I just want to say it makes people appreciate that he's part of this as well. And the man... The fact that he's able to do this is just amazing, pun intended. I think Garfield has done enough here that people are going to go back and, and sort of 
revisit and reevaluate the Amazing Spider-Man movies. And, uh, it, you know, I think on the Internet, he's gotten a lot of the, br- the blame for the failure of those movies. And I think we're going to get a nice little cultural reevaluation that he's great. And it's those movies that are kind of bad. And look, I, I appreciate that he's a dude who actually really, really seems like he wanted to play this part for 20 years. He gave a million interviews. They're they're credible. Like, I don't think he's lying talking about how this is actually the character that meant the most to him growing up, how it means the world to him to get the chance to play this character. And I, I think you could see it here. If there's a single actor who's most committed to this movie and excited to be in this movie, it really seems to be Andrew Garfield. And I hope the the torture of trying to do two Oscar campaigns and dodging questions for this hasn't like soured him on it. Because do I think Tobey Maguire is going to play this part ever again? No. Do I think he's going to come back and do it? No. Do I think there's a universe where Andrew Garfield continues to play Spider-Man, perhaps in the Venom movies or something like that? (laughs) Yes, I do. And I think that's wonderful. And I I hope that he gets that and we get that because I could certainly deal with having, let's throw Spider-Verse in the mix, three Spider-Men happening at once in my life. I'm fine with that now. Yeah. Um, There's also my favorite probably comedic moment of the three of them being together. Um, So the five villains have now converged on the Statue of Liberty that now has Cap Shield because of course it does. And they are having a hard time working together because they're used to working separately as Spider-Man. And so they reconvene and Maguire and Garfield didn't know which one was Peter two. And so Holland goes, I'm Peter one. Listen to me. I, I know how to work as a team. I'm in the Avengers. And Maguire goes, the Avengers, that's great. What is that? And Garfield's <laughs> so like, so that, good. that must be a band. Are you in a band? And he explains like, what they are and that we'll got to work together to do this. And so he says, I'm Peter one points it. McGuire says you're Peter two and Garfield with this look of like, well, I'm Peter three. <laughs> oh man. He just sells it. And it's so great. Us. Um, okay. Final reveal after four of the five, um, villains are cured. Um, Goblin shows up and blows up the not the mother box. Oh yeah, Doctor Strange is back as well. And then you have the Gwen Stacy moment. And the because the mother not the mother box blew up, the multiverse is now cracking and starting to make their way through. And um, Peter then suggests another spell to make everybody forget that he's Spider Man. It's even a more extreme version. It's if everyone forgets Peter Parker. Forgets Peter Parker, correct. So before we get to that, actually, there's one more thing before we get to the last reveal. And it's that Peter and Goblin are, are fighting it out in hand-to-hand combat. Peter's winning the fight this time, and he's about to impale Goblin with his own glider. And Maguire swoops in and stops him. And it's this moment of like, this isn't you. This is not what Spider-Man does. Don't give in to the rage. This is what we taught you. And it works in that moment. And then Goblin stabs Maguire in the back. Defoe stabs Goblin in the uh, Defoe stabs Maguire in the back. And my theater thought they were going to kill off Tobey Maguire, which I wasn't ready for. And then it just like, well, in the moment, what did you think was going to happen? I I also thought they were going to kill off Maguire. And I kind of thought that would have made thematic sense too, if they did, but leave leaving. So yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's cheap per se. And I sort of appreciated the joke about, eh, I've been stabbed before, but um, I thought the Holland trying to kill him and Maguire having to sort of bring his lived in experience to the forefront is actually pretty effective thematic storytelling because yes. I think that Holland 
would lose his cool there. And he needs the he's learning from both of these Spider-Men. He's learning about loss and grief from Garfield. He's learning about rage from Maguire. And we know from Spider-Man 3 that that character is capable of twisting to the dark side. This is the guy who tried to blow up Harry Osborn with his own goblin bomb in, you know, late in that movie. So look, he, he's been there. He's made those choices. He knows how they feel and how they impact you. So for him to come down and prevent Holland for making that mistake and really educate him on how to do it better, I, I think is an effective character beat. Yeah, I agree completely that Maguire being the one to stop him makes the most sense thematically. It's the staging by by Watts, by Marvel, whoever was in charge of having Goblin put that last impaling of Maguire that stabbing him in the back, giving me a mild heart attack, and then seconds <laughs> later it just being explained away of like, oh, I've been stabbed before. It reminded me of Eternals where it's like, so like, what are the stakes here? If that didn't matter, then why even have it in your movie? I don't know. Yeah, just, it's it's something that the first time it uh, emotionally hit me and then bothered me. And then the second time it did feel a little cheap. Um, over time, it probably won't even matter. That's one of the roll my eyes moments that, that hit me in this movie, at least. Um, fast forward to... After this all happens and he recommends the spell to Strange, he goes and says goodbye to the other two Spider-Men. He then goes to say goodbye to Ned and then goes and says goodbye to MJ. And you get this uh, very impactful, passionate kiss with uh, with Tom Holland and Zendaya that obviously makes sense because they're dating Wait, in real life. I, really? I thought that was the single most like sexless Oh, a, I, asexual I it, kiss. Absolutely. The, I know that they're dating in real life, or at least want us to think they're dating. I found that to be the most like passionless and asexual kiss that any tandem of Spider-Man and his women. Oh, and his well, that's not actors fair. Have ever had. That's not fair because the other two, the other two are better, but it doesn't mean this one was bad. It looked like a, it looked like a, a high school boy getting his first kiss. I thought it was kind Good, of sad. He's seventeen. He's supposed to be. This is Tom Holland being able to show you that he can play seventeen and. Toby Maguire was 17 or the character was when he was upside down in the rain with the soaking wet Kirsten Dunst. And so, and Andrew Garfield was 16 when, when he and Gwen are necking and petting. So I just, I, I the, the, the like anti-sexuality of Tom Holland is, is not cool. Okay. I can't compare anything Tom Holland does to the, as we said in the final review, greatest kiss of all time on screen when Spider-Man's upside down in the rain. And look, Andrew Garfield was 35 for during the filming <laughs> of that movie. So I'm pretty sure he had experience kissing, especially his girlfriend at the time, Emma Stone. I felt that it worked even better because as I said, I like my Spider-Man to look like a kid, especially if he's playing a kid and it worked much better for me. Fast forward a little bit. The spell is cast. He goes into MJ's job. He sees MJ and Ned excited to go to MIT, unbothered by the burden or the collateral damage of knowing that he's Spider-Man. They also don't know him, though. And he just rather than telling MJ who he is, as he promised her before the spell, he accepts the sacrifice that Aunt May was talking about and just orders a coffee and leaves. And it, to me, is... If Aunt May is the most emotional moment, her death, this is the gut punch that I thought was just really well acted by Tom Holland. And 
overall thematically, I think solidifies what this character arc has been leading to the entire time. I like also what comes immediately after, which is that he's now sewing his own spider suits. There's no more Stark tech bullshit. We've gotten to the real Spider-Man. And the moment you've hit on comes from the the comics, and I'll just be a nerd for 10 seconds here. Go but ahead, all, take it you away. You can all pretend you know this shit. Um, so in Civil War, like the same Civil War we had with Cat, with the Regi- Superhero Registration Act, it's called the Sokovia Accord in the movies, uh, there's a moment where Peter Parker goes to Iron Man's side, and as part of doing that, he unmasks and reveals his secret identity to everyone. Later in Civil War, he switches sides and ends up on, on Cap's side at the end of it. Um, later, Aunt May gets sick, so he cuts a deal with the literal devil, uh, Memphisto, in in the comics. And uh, as a result of that deal, he has to give up his marriage to Mary Jane. And a collateral effect of giving up his marriage to Mary Jane in order to save Aunt May's life is that everyone forgets who he is. Everyone forgets his secret identity. The unveiling is removed. I mean, this this is one of the more it's one of the more hated uh, plots in Spider-Man history. It's also a pretty classic way to do what's called a retcon, a retroactive continuity, which is when they change something so that they can kind of reset the framework and get rid of all of their superhero bullshit and start clean. So like a new writer can take over is the cynical way to think of it. And, you know, this lets them get back to basics of Spider-Man out in the world and not everyone knowing who he is. I mean, there's like a whole years long stretch where he's like living in Stark Tower as as like a scientist, in addition to being Spider-Man on the side, there's all sorts of like weird shit that they wanted to get rid of and get back to basics. But I think that's what we're we're seeing here as a version of Brand New Day. And generally, when they do these unpopular comic book plots, they do a good job of fixing them. And since I, I don't think it's a spoiler, because the president of Sony Pictures has said that they're you know uh, they envision a whole new trilogy of Tom Holland playing this character in the MCU. So it seems clear we're headed towards at least three more. Holland Spider-Man movies that are paying off this arc, for which I'm extremely excited. I agree. I will just say, like, I was really satisfied by the ending of this movie, and it's not that I don't want any more Spider- It's not like a Toy Story 4 kind of thing where I don't need any more from this story. I I just was very okay if something were to happen and Sony backs out, and it's like, this is the last that we're seeing of Holland in the MCU, I'd be okay with it because of the conclusion to this version of the story. I understand what you're saying. There's more to be told. But man, as we kind of wrap up today, they nailed it. I'm amazed at what they did and how they did it. They really pulled this off. I agree. And you know, the one one last parting thought as we look to the future of these things is the Stinger sees Tom Hardy Venom show up and sit with Danny Rojas, football is life, yes. uh, in a bar, as was teased at the end of Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And when he's you know, magic boxed back to the Sony universe. He leaves behind a piece of the symbiote. And I think the takeaway of that is they probably won't do Eddie Brock again in the MCU, but uh, Mac Gargan Scorpion has worn the Venom symbiote before. And all the way back in Homecoming, Nacho from from Better Call Saul plays Mac Gargan. So I bet we're going to get a Venom Scorpion version hybrid thing in a future one of these. And that seems awesome. So a couple of things. Can you name the eight Academy Award nominated people that make an appearance in this movie? Uh, Defoe, Molina, Tomei. Mm, Alfred Molina was not nominated Alfred for Molina's, an Oscar. Really? Oh, yeah, that sucks. I thought uh, so too. He's been nominated for three BAFTAs though. So you got uh, you got uh, Defoe, you got Tomei. Uh, Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch, that's three. Uh, who, who, Jamie Foxx has won an Oscar. That's four. Um, 
Thomas Hayden Church for Sideways. That's a great pull. I I thought I I, thought I was going through the notes thoroughly after to try and get this trivia correctly. And I was like, if Oz gets this, then I'm just never going to doubt him again. Who? Oh That's man, five. Who? There's three more There's that th- make an appearance. Oh, uh, Garfield, of course. Andrew Garfield. That's six. There's two more. Um, Toby is not an Oscar nominee, is he? He is not. Again, make an appearance. Not necessarily like... Main character. Oh, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. That's seven. There's one more. He's in the very beginning. Literally the opening mm-hmm. the thing you see. He's technically in No Way Home. Oh, Jake. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have gotten that because it's. I think yeah. it's. I think it's far from it, home footage. It, but it's. It, it is. But he. I said make an appearance. Um. What is the alternate universe Oz doing right now? Uh, the alternate universe Oz is already on his way to take his kid to the Christmas Cirque du Soleil show in New York and not running late. <laughs> oh, okay. So we gotta ra- we gotta wrap up is what you're saying. Okay. Um, you're great on Letterboxd. Uh, I'm gonna call it a nine out of ten for now, but with the the possibility for an increase. You know what? On my first feeling, I was an eight out of ten. Whoa, shit! I'm higher. Yeah, you were higher. And after talking to you, and after a second viewing, the things that bothered me before don't as much specifically that first 20 25 minutes and just the highs are so high in the the third act of this movie the almost killing off toby Maguire thing still bothers me but i'll bump up also to a nine out of ten especially with where the conversations is now about to go i'll match you and say nine out of ten um how this affects your final review rank is i don't think this is there's any other things that this would affect other than our spider-man uh franchise rankings so where is it now for you i'm putting it third it's it's not going to affect my score because spider-man already the first one didn't score but i'm going spider-verse spider-man 2 this one um homecoming far from home so here's what i'll say then we'll wrap up and you can go be a dad um I had Spider-Man, the original from 2002, listed as my number five. I'm bumping it down. I had Spider-Man No Way Home listed as my number four. I'm bumping it down. I had Spider-Man Homecoming listed as my number three. I'm bumping it down. Spider-Verse, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is my number one. I'm keeping it there, but Spider-Man 2, I had it at number two. And I'm bumping it down and putting Spider-Man No Way Home as the second best Spider-Man movie in my power rankings. This is, on its own, it works as a movie that celebrates Spider-Man, that that completes this part of the Tom Holland story arc. If you want to say his origin, that's perfectly fine. If you want to say that it's a continuation of the MCU and like sets up the breadcrumbs um, with like the references to Hawkeye and you know, whatever's next for Dr. Strange, it works as a celebration of the Spider-Man character. And look, biggest thing you learned from this episode, if it wasn't like the ins and outs of, of Spider-Man, it's what retcon means. And it, does exactly that for two other versions of this character that I think were sorely needed. So now the conclusions of all three Spider-Man work even better now. And that was done by this movie. So this is now the second greatest Spider-Man movies. And look, maybe see what happens with the other two Spider-Verse movies. Maybe something else will change. Um, Oz, I also hinted at a question I yes, wanted to what is ask the big you question? before we got out of here. So I'll do it real quick and then we'll go. 
how you doing? Because you've been doing this thing lately at the end of episodes where you beg people not just to go see the uh, big budget stuff, but you want them to see the smaller movies. And look, I have I still haven't seen Come On, Come On. I still haven't seen West Side Story. So how are you doing celebrating this movie for an hour, but also knowing that people going to see this movie aren't going to see those smaller movies? Uh, look. I, I like this movie. I don't hold the success of this movie against it. I think it's silly to be like, I'm in the Paul Thomas Anderson camp. Great. People are going to movies. It's better that they go to see something than see nothing at all. Because at least this keeps theaters alive a little longer. Uh, boy, does it suck that a movie as good as Nightmare Alley opened to like $4 million. Because there were, there were literally, there were reports that that people were getting notifications from AMC that their Nightmare Alley screenings were canceled, that they'd already bought tickets for because they were canceling shows to make space for more Spider-Man showings. Uh, that fucking sucks. So, uh, look, I hope you love Spider-Man, but please go see Nightmare Alley or West Side Story or Come On, Come On or, or The Tender Bar or any of these things that are good and worthy. And uh, yeah, that that's my plea. Also, come to theinventionofdreams.com. We just had our biggest week ever in terms of readership and ran a bunch of stuff on this movie and Nightmare Alley and Tender bar and mother android and a bunch of west side story so yeah come come read the work there and uh yeah follow me on oz on movies on twitter and have a wonderful holiday week now that we finally recorded our pod for spider-man no way home i can now go read your review for there spider-man no way home uh thank you oz as always thank you everybody for listening and tune in next time for another final review Somewhere in this hip-hop soul community Was born three, they stub me And that's a magic number What does it all mean? Difficult preaching is posthumous pleasure Pleasure in preaching starts in the heart Something that stimulates the music in a measure Measure in the music, racing three parts Casually see but don't do like the soul Cause seeing and doing are actions for monkeys Doing hip-hop hustle, no rock and roll Unless your name's Brewster, cause Brewster's a punky Parents let go cause it's magic in the air Criticizing rap shows you're out of order Stop looking, listen to the phrase and Fred Astaire's And don't get offended while Mace Dosey does your daughter A dry camera roll system is now set Fly around the store under Daisy Productions It stands for the inner sound, y'all, in your cabette that the action not a trip, but show me the function. Everybody wants to be a DJ. Everybody wants to be an MC. But being speakers are the best. And you don't have to guess. You feel like so posse, cause